transformation is dead and long live adaptability. Although it was certainly not universally agreed upon, that was one of the sentiments that emerged when the DPP convened 30 media, technology, entertainment and broadcasting leaders at the end of January 2024. But is it actually delusional to aspire to reach a position of complete business, technical and commercial agility? Hello and welcome to the DPP podcast. I'm Edward Qualtro, Editorial Director here at the DPP, and this is your regular dose of discussion, musing, hobnobbing, hype vetting and more with experts in the media, entertainment, technology and broadcasting industry. Like plenty of other organisations, the DPP produces a trend-style report, which we call the DPP Predictions. Although these aren't really the DPP predictions at all, they are developed by a cohort of industry professionals, from major broadcasters and content providers to key technology suppliers and partners. This year, 30 experts joined a session to debate, vote on and co-create those predictions, and that piece of work is available for anybody with an internet connection to download, and as such I recommend that you do so. Two of those contributors were Darren Long and Gordon Brooks. Darren is Sports Technology Integration Project Lead at Warner Brothers Discovery, and Gordon is CEO at Zixi, which has now sponsored the work for four years, which we are hugely grateful for. And as Gordon says, he has seen the sausage being made of the DPP predictions. I am pleased then to introduce to you those two short conversations with Gordon and then with Darren. Why do they think there were fewer discussions specifically about technology innovations in 2024, other than AI of course? And how realistic is it really for media organisations to aspire to reach this position of infinite flexibility? And how much is there to be excited about in media, technology and entertainment? Hi Gordon, thank you very much for joining the DPP podcast and being part of that such an engaging workshop session that we did back in January 2024. You've now been involved in the DPP predictions initiative for a few years, I think four in a row. So could I ask for a bit of an overview, what you think about the the themes? And this question I wanted to ask is, do you think there are any more optimistic or pragmatic or pessimistic to previous years. They're always a mix of looking at technology innovations, but then some sort of slightly downbeat things that are on the horizons as well. Yeah, Edward, uh, glad to join you. And 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 actually it's been very interesting participating for, for four straight years, watching the uh, sausage being made uh, with all the different diverse people and companies and uh, things like that. So it's 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 always it's always fascinating. Um, a couple things. I, I think it's a was a very pragmatic year. I think twenty twenty three was uh, a shocker for a lot of people with you know everything from inflation, the cost of capital, to the the drive for profitability, the the mandate for profitability. You know that's a big surprise, right? You have to be profitable. What a what a surprise that must have been. <laughs> which is kind of silly when you think about it. But um, but I thought it was very pragmatic, but there was some 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 optimism in there in terms of what's going on with live sports and people thinking about, you know, having making sure that you have a data strategy, that data is becoming very important to to uh, what you need to do. So I, I, I thought it was more cautious in the past couple of years, but 
pretty pragmatic with, with a little bit of optimism in there. And if I remember correctly, there was a prediction that wasn't voted through by the contributors, which would there be fewer of us and layoffs this year and to reveal or or um, uh, out the person who made the comment on the other side, which is I think 2023 was the tough year and much of that has already happened. So would you sort of elaborate? Because I believe that was you who offered the counter, wasn't it? That organizations were shocked and things will get better. I, I believe so, because, I mean, there, there's a lot of disruptive forces that were either started in 22, but really got going in 23 or or happened in 23. And and it it, it was a shock to the system. I think, I mean, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be another pandemic or something else that comes along and shocks us. But um, I think that's all in the calculation now. I think that, you know, the budgets have been put together knowing that you have to do more or less, knowing that you have to hit profitability, knowing what the cost of capital is. And uh, so I think twenty. I'm for 24, I'm pretty optimistic about it. Our, my customers are pretty optimistic about it. And I think most people that were participating in uh, in the program that we just did in January were, were much more optimistic about 24 than 23. Thank you. So in the report, for the first time this year, we revealed a little bit of uh, the ways the DPP perhaps tries to be a bit conniving. We try to prompt and provoke people a bit. Uh, and Mark even persuaded people to try and be uh, outlandish. But like you said, the the predictions, the themes are quite pragmatic. And one of the places where it did land was this need for almost infinite flexibility and to be ready to respond to everything. I think a lot of the conversations boiled down to there not being a silver bullet or a known strategy to respond. So almost we need to be ready for everything. So the my follow-up provocation is, is it realistic for media organizations to really be infinitely flexible and ready to respond to every possible trend that might be the, the big thing? Well, uh, let me tie that to an observation I have about what's not in the predictions this year. Uh, there was uh, a lot of talk around AI but there wasn't really anything about cloud and, and IP. And I think that's because that ship has sailed. That's, you know, that's, we were predicting it's going to go mainstream. It's gone mainstream. So it's no big uh, prediction there. Uh, that inherently provides you agility and flexibility. Do I think you have to be, you know, infinitely flexible? I don't think that's possible. Uh, but do I think you need to be able to, uh, Try different ways to monetize your 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 assets and change when when the markets change and and having you know kind of everything hardware defined as opposed to software defined everything fixed infrastructure versus variable infrastructure those types of things drive flexibility and um, so I, I, again infinite I don't think is the right word but I think you need to maximize your your flexibility. So to go back to that, and because we also removed transformation from the mood music. So that does that tie into what you said? So I think one of the phrases we use that sort of tr transformation is kind of dead now. It's all about adaptability. Do you think that's why there were fewer technology specific predictions other than AI that the almost the, the intellectual, the business discussion about cloud and about IP is, is already been settled in that sense? Yeah, and, and it's not like everybody's made the move. So I think it's it's everybody knows they need to make the move, and some are doing it more quickly than others. 
in our group, we were talking about transformation just is something that's a continuous thing now. This is a 10-year transformation we're in. This is not a one-year type of thing. Uh, so, and, and I think people were tired of the word transformation <laughs> because we've been using it so many years in a row. But um, I, I think... I think it's it's just a continuous thing. I just didn't think it was. I don't think the group thought it was something that needed to be predicted. It is. It is just a thing. Indeed, and I think some people had a real aversion, and I think some people felt that it became a surrogate for whatever happened to be a big theme of the time is, and perhaps it was an unhelpful or more unhelpful term than it had been uh, previously. So another sort of observation that was made is that sustainability dropped off the agenda of the predictions. And the other thing that we include, which is called the mood music, these are sort of the macro mega themes that orbit and influence sort of every every decision and thing that takes place within an organization. But that's certainly not to say that it's not important. So why do you think that it wasn't sort of put forward as a prediction, particularly, Gordon? I know we had one last year, which was that... Um, sustainability decisions will be inherently linked to having an ROI. Um, but there is a view that actually it's kind of good business and you can do both at the same time, right? Reduce costs and improve TCO and improve sustainability. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was disappointed it dropped off. I think it's a very important thing. And and we're, we at Zixi are very, very focused on uh, sustainability and but you know fortunately with us it does come with significant cost savings if 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 i can reduce your compute by 10x versus doing something a different way that reduces your cost by 10x but it also reduces energy consumption and things like that so it's, it's something we're very focused on but i have found that that i i sustainability doesn't come up as often as it should in a decision criteria and if it comes up, it needs to be paid for by the by savings. So I, um, I, I, I don't think we as an industry are, are where we need to be in, in terms of how we think about sustainability or, or how important it is. I think it should be an integral part of every decision. And sure, you can look at the cost of it and some costs may not be, uh, you know, be, be, something that you can uh, take advantage of, but uh, but it should be a, a big part of everything. And it, it, it just doesn't seem to be yet. Yeah, thank you. We discussed it in our group as well on the, on the other side. And we remembered that there had initially been this prediction that procurement decisions would be decided by sustainability, i.e. that the it would have a significant say in who media companies would choose to partner with. That kind of got dropped off last year for a version of it, which was that they would make the the environmentally conscious decision if it was good for business. And I think maybe we're coming around back to where we were before, and actually they're 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 quite aligned. Um, what do you think it says about artificial intelligence that two predictions were related to AI, and they were probably the only most sort of technical two predictions that we had. One of them was that employees will take Gen AI into their own hands and you better be ready for how you build the guardrails and yeah. uh, police that. And something about the lawyers as well. The lawyers are coming for AI. It was almost that I think it's not the regulators you need to be worried about. This will be settled in the in the courts beforehand. But to turn that into one question, where where do you sort of stand on the 
AI hype train and its impact that it will have on the next year and how that will get how that will sort of settle down into sort of practical value for organizations. Yeah, I you know, I look at uh predictive analytics, you know, uh as being more business impactful. And we've been doing that and others have been doing that a long time. Uh so I, I still think uh that's got the bigger bang for the buck. But the hype is this next generation, this generative AI is is a big deal. Um and and it it does require some guardrails and um and employees are going to use it. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think companies need to have their own strategy around it and how they want to use it. And you have to be, you know, extremely careful because there's going to be a lot of lawyers around uh, coming after people who don't use it properly and infringe on other people uh, in ways that they, they they shouldn't. So it's a it, it's a big deal. I, I don't think it's as worth two predictions, to be honest with you. Uh, so I'm I'm. You know, I think it's important, but I'm not as as far on the hype train as maybe some people are. But uh, it it is an important topic, and it was it was a fun discussion. Well, you'll be pleased that we didn't have three about it. And if I remember correctly, Mark almost said there's another person's predictions, and out of eight, they've got five about AI. So I think <laughs> we maybe settled somewhere very vaguely sensible. I asked you the first question about what it said about the industry that they were either pragmatic, they certainly weren't downbeat, but they acknowledged that there's lots of sort of disruptive threats, I suppose, in the industry. What what do you think is there in particular to be excited about in media, tech, entertainment at the moment? What are the maybe the maturing tech innovations and trends that you, that you see that you, you really like the look of and love about this sector? So one of the, one of the trends uh, that we that we uh, had predicting which is live sports is is going to be key and it's for the streamers and everybody else but it's you know we have you know one of, one of the largest uh, OTT providers um, that did twenty eight thousand live sporting events last year they're doing a hundred thousand this year organizations are trading content so I don't know if you saw the announcement that uh, that Warner Discovery uh, Fox and Disney ESPN are trying to put together a, a streaming service uh, together. And, you know, so I think I see a lot of people taking these expensive rights and sharing them, trading them, splitting them. So it's it's a, a really interesting time around that. And that requires a lot of different technology and a lot of innovation. You know, it's if you have one, one if you have in, in the U.S., they have something called regional sports networks and it, all satellite based and it goes up at one flavor and goes down and gets distributed. Now I'm going to take it to Paramount Global or Paramount Plus, and I'm going to take it to Amazon Prime. I'm going to take it to Apple TV, YouTube TV. Everybody wants it a little differently. Um, that That is a completely different need for agility and need for uh, IP and cloud, because you're just not going to do that with traditional technology. So I'm really excited about it because that's what we do. For a living, and that's what we've been doing a long time. But I, I think that's um, that's uh, pretty cool. What's going on there? And I think, if I remember correctly, our DPP predictions workshop discussion sort of spoke about everything from the sort of direct to consumer, almost, or the league owning quite a small sport being able to deliver its content to those biggest leagues in the world, from you know the local pickleball 
being broadcast to the you know the mega competitions yeah it's 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 really fascinating so we have a, a lot of customers like uh, flow sports and uh pixelot and uh hockey tech and people like that that do kind of high school or or you know tier three or tier four sports but um pixelot um does over three million live sporting events a year uh using Zixi. So it's 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 really crazy how popular that is. And then you see things like pickleball leagues coming up and things like that. And then, you know, we, we're doing the Super Bowl this year and you know, we we do NHL and MLB and Major League Soccer. And so we're kind of seeing it, you know, kind of from the top to the to the bottom, but everybody's looking for the same thing is, you know, needs to be live, needs to be really great quality, needs to be low latency. Um, so it's 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 fun to watch. And maybe one last one to go back to that point you raised at the beginning about um, value and margins and sort of profitability and the sort of the period that we're in at the moment. So the prediction we included in the work was about EBITDA will be king. But I think we've sort of discussed that maybe we were really talking about margin and profitability and that period that we had from maybe before 2023 where these media organizations were looking at growth at all costs it's almost that audience is good we'll get audiences first and then we'll work out the commercials of it later to the more pragmatic time we're in at the moment where actually markets are valuing being able to make some real money in a, in a real business model do you think 2023 will maybe be looked back on as a pivot a pivotal year in media and entertainment i i do i do i mean it's kind of silly to think that you know you, you don't need a, a model for profitability uh which is kind of how a lot of organizations were operating and 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 the markets like they always do it at some point it was like you got to figure out how you're gonna make money and you got to tell us when and what steps you're taking to get there and um the the prediction i think it got kind of mixed up a little bit in the drafting by calling it EBITDA because EBITDA really kind of, uh, you know, beckons the, you know, the old world of capitalizing hardware and, and software and, and, and things like that. And, that, and in most expenses these days, especially in the cloud world are operating costs. So it's, it's, it's reducing operating costs, not only in the cloud, but also people, you know, can, can, this group of people do, you know, twice as much work or three times as much work without working more hours. So how can we make them more effective? Right. So I, I think that's it. And, and, and that's how you have to think, because, you know, some of these big media organizations have to cut 15 to 20 percent out of their budget every year. So every year and sometimes you have to spend money to, be, to save money and you, you just can't keep you're going to cut to bone at some point if you don't figure out a, a a smarter way to do things. And I, I think that's kind of the transition the industry's going for is, you know, how do we really make this sustainable as opposed to just an exercise in accounting? Thank you. And I was looking at some of the sort of EBITDA critiques as well. And there's a great line from Warren Buffett. It's along the lines of who do you think pays for all the um, capital investment? Is it the CapEx fairies or, or, or <laughs> something like that, which I quite liked? <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's a made up thing. It's not even a, not even a real number. It's uh, I can't remember who, who, who dreamed it up, probably some hedge fund guy, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's important that people look at it, but it's, it's, it sends the wrong message. If, if EBITDA is the only number people are looking at, they're, they're missing the point. 
Thank you, Gordon. Um, unless you've got a burning desire to add any other reflections or thoughts about the process, now's the good time. No, I think I'm all set. I I, I do appreciate uh, participating and and having a chance to uh, hear what other people are thinking. It's a, it's a super valuable experience, and if uh, others get asked and if they haven't done it before, they should try it. It's 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 a, it's a fun thing. It's a good session. And just to have the engagement, you know, 150 minutes in sometimes, and some people are at the end of their day and other people are barely starting theirs. It's very, very good to see. So it's it's always great to get the whole end to end of the industry together to just spitball some stuff and try and land on some things that people can vaguely agree on. Yeah, yeah, it's a unique, uh, unique experience. And, and like I said, it's fun and everybody's so engaged. So it's 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 uh you know if you're gonna if you're gonna join be prepared to talk hello darren welcome to the dpp podcast thank you very much for joining the toughest question first could you just please introduce who you are and where you are as well maybe Yes, absolutely. So my name is Darren Long. Um, I'm currently at WBD um, working on the BT uh, to TNT migration um, at a, a strategic leadership level. Uh, so been looking after both uh, technical and operations uh, and integrating into production to deliver the new TNT sports channels. Indeed. And to paint the picture that our listeners can't see, you're in one of those booths I've spoken to many people before, and I've been in numerous ones of those as well. So you were one of the many 30, I think, engaged contributors we had to a piece of work that we released at the start of 2024. Now, I'm not going to ask you sort of directly about the outcome of that work, the DPP predictions, but I do want to speak about some of the themes because there are a few bits that came out. And one of them was this concept of adaptability and uh, technology modularity. So the question I want to ask is those were two of the major themes. And a lot of the media organizations said they sort of aspire to achieve this position of sort of ultimate adaptability. But how realistic do you think that really is for organizations to achieve? And I'm going to ask the part B now as well, which is, was this always the logical end state of transformation that organizations have been going through and talking about for sort of the last half decade or so, I guess. I think, look, in my career, the one thing I've absolutely noticed of uh, all the things I've been involved in is there's no surety of what's going to ultimately be the end state. And I think what I mean by that is, is if you look in the media space, the media space is certainly changing rapidly, although sometimes slower than most other areas. Um, it really does seem like at the moment everyone's either um, coming together and streaming products are joining joining forces. Um, people want to deliver media and and content in a, a much faster and more dynamic way. So I think from a point of view of what we sometimes kid ourselves, and I think it's important to say that, is that we want to build a, you know, whether it be a platform, a, a structures within our organizations that actually is is going to get to that end state. So effectively delivering something. Um, and I think, look, where it comes to physical buildings, yes, you can always do that. And that's great to see. But where it comes to technology and products, um, the fact I've always learned is that actually there's no end. Uh, there's just an evolution as we go through. And, and I think it's important that when people start thinking about 
how do they build infrastructures that to support this they think about what is it that we will need as building blocks and i think one of the areas that that i looked at um a long time ago was rather than trying to sort of how can i say um put uh, your stamp on one particular product um, that's going to do all these things it's going to be amazing i think one of the other one of the key things is how, how do we build a platform that is adaptable in other words building the core platform that is just um something you can build um various different modules on and and different um ways to do things and and effectively pull things out if you don't need them and and uh and uh obviously put new products in when you do need them and and the the difference between how we used to build and how we're building now is everything was very monolithic in other words you build a big man everything would live off it it would be this brand it would last you 10 15 years and then you go out and replace it i think i think the difference now to answer your question is when we're thinking at the end state what we should be thinking is slightly differently we should be thinking of adaptability because there is no such thing as end state there is only the ability to change as we move through over the years and so to answer your question, I think that for me is the core of this, which is how do I build, whether it be teams, products or technical facilities that are going to be adaptable in the future and, and stop kidding ourselves that ultimately we're going to deliver something and that will be it finished. Thank you. And yes, we've had conversations with sort of colleagues and peers in media, colleagues and peers on the supplier side as well. And we've sort of semi-joked that the easier it is to remove a piece of technology possibly makes it more likely that it will be sort of used by some organisations as well because of that uh, modular piece that you've discussed. And I think that's very true. One of the things I think companies get very scared of is making big decisions. Uh, and I think if you can find um, a way of obviously, um, how can I say, making those those scary things less scary by saying, well, look, let's go with it. If it doesn't work, there's going to be four or five other um, systems or, or companies out there that we can uh, uh, put in place instead. And I think that's one of the things we need to really focus on. Like I say, the assurity of this is it's never going to stop, which means that there is no end. We've just got to be very adaptable. Of course, when you get 30 industry experts in a session and sort of two workshop rooms we had, there's plenty of discussion about artificial intelligence. Um, we spoke about the official use of AI, the, the innovations that are baked into corporate office suites. We spoke about the dangers of employees procuring their own tools um, that maybe hasn't been uh, okayed by the tech function, the CIO, or whoever is overseeing that. What do you think organizations are doing and, and reacting and looking to put in place here to make sure that AI is used appropriately in, in media organizations? I think the phrase we used was guardrails. And also, what's the level of transformation you think we might expect to see in that office environment as well? Maybe not on the necessarily on the creative side. Yeah, well, let, let's just quickly touch on that one first, and then we can we can go back um, to the uh, previous question, which is, uh, I think what we're finding within the workplace is that all of the various employees within the workforce are starting to use AI, maybe unofficially, 
uh, within within the, uh, the 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 workplace, and I think from a from a point of view of that transformation, what we're seeing is we're seeing a transformation in the office rather than a transformation in the workplace because that's harder. That 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 is you know how does uh, an organisation adapt and change and put AI in place? Now for some companies that's going to be very simple. If you're a Google, that's a really simple process. But if you're a large organisation, media organisation, uh, trying to apply you know, um, uh, whether it be AI or some robotic processing uh, into your way of working really takes a lot of thought process and changes within uh, within the organization. So I think what we're seeing first is the workplace very much adapting to the new tools and new technology, maybe unofficially, and I'll come back to that sort of guardrail conversation in a minute. Um, but I think um, I think that's where where you're going to see a transformation very quickly, um, and it's happening. I think um, uh, we're in the actual workplace side of it um, from a product and, and technology point of view. I think that's going to be a slower burn because I think companies are only just waking up. Equally, you know, um, even this week, you know, I've had a few questions to me about well, where could we use it how could we use it and i think people are still scratching their heads and we've got to remember it's a tool uh, but equally as any tools we've got to have the right tools for the right job we just can't use ai because it's the buzzword we've got to use ai because it genuinely brings benefits to the organization whether that be saving benefit or the ability to scale much greater by using ai so I think it's really important that companies don't just jump in and put AI at the end of their their name, which I am starting to see quite a lot, um, which does slightly worry me because it just feels to me like it seems to be that word that they need to get into their their um, their name somehow so that people believe they're a modern company, they're adapting, they're changing, and they're using all this great technology. So let's go back to guardrails because I think that's a really important point as well. And I think only now companies are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, Darren Long uses chat GBT in the office and should he be using that? And if he is using that, is he using company data for that? Um, and and what restrictions should you put under him? And, and even in organizations like WBD, there are now some sort of mandates going down around not stopping people using it, but giving people some guidelines about what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. And those things will grow over time we will make mistakes across the industry around how we you know inform our employees um to use this new technology and i think um you know that workplace is is everyone's always looking for another way of doing things um and i think that will be the evolution that you will see over the next few years that people will start wanting to do this because they know that actually it'll either speed up what they're doing or or it help them or or you know let's say spend hours doing spreadsheets where they could be just putting some information in so I think it's really interesting. We're at a really interesting time. Um, but I think there is a divide between employee and and company. I think you're right. And it's, it'd be interesting if it follows that trajectory of like the consumerization of IT and shadow IT, which was sort of highlighted perhaps that there was a user need that the users could self-serve and do things slightly better if they procured their own tool. Now, that needs to be checked, I guess, in a corporate environment. That is an okay tool and it fits with other tools that you're using as well. And uh, I like that um, line about 
and I've seen it as well, is a solution looking for a problem. Now, I'm sure there are many problems where AI is a very good solution, but I have certainly seen examples where it's almost as if the solution comes first and then we'll go looking for the problem afterwards. One of the other things we discussed, and, and finally in the, in the session in January 2024, where we sort of press and provoke our members to come up with predictions for the year, was there sort of fewer technology predictions than in previous years other than artificial intelligence perhaps we used to have ones about ip going mainstream or cloud production going mainstream or insert another technology there and there were a few of those this year and my question therefore is to what extent is that because debates about things like cloud production maybe are sort of largely settled i know you've spoken about it a fair bit in producing um, sports content and i know other organizations will probably have similar attitudes not just for sport but also for entertainment and news and other kind of live live events too yeah and i think um in largely this this was brought on if we look if we f just focus on cloud for a second um i think the reason that how can i say it's less interesting for people or less uh top of the sort of mindset is that you know let's a few years ago um you know before um covid uh having a conversation about working in the cloud was uh as we uh, as it's named it, it was just really you know um, blue sky thinking it was not something that people really wanted to do because it's all about control and people didn't understand where that control was going because it was going into this machine room living somewhere they had no no uh, no idea i think when covid came along we all were forced and i use that word uh, in in the right context to find ways to deliver and to produce content which actually was an exciting, a terrible time, but exciting time, equally technology-wise, because it made people, for once, be really creative around how they did things. And I think this is where cloud became a lot more mainstream and a lot more, lot, lot less scary, because people had to go through the fact that they had one day to probably put something on that actually would have been a, a probably a five-year thought process. Um, but um, I, I think this is why cloud now is mainstream, in my view. And what I mean by that, you know, it is changing, it is evolving, and everything we do whether you're using 365 or whether you're doing a cloud production is ultimately living somewhere in a data center. But I think it's less scary for people, which means in that case, it's probably not front of mind as an issue or something they've got to solve. It's just a tool that's there if they need to use it. And so I think when all of us came together, it wasn't surprising to me that it wasn't uh, one of those, oh, and we need to do more sort of um, production in the cloud because uh, it, most of it is happening that way in certain forms now, whether it be graphics creation or whether it be mainstream production. So, so I think this is why uh, a lot less technology conversations were being had and probably more focused on, you know, the consolidation of organizations and structure of organizations and ultimately monetization of organizations. So I think that's why um, that we had that sort of debate this time around. Thank you, Darren. I'm going to try one closing question for you as well. So there was a bit of caution in our session in January. There's a bit of optimism as well. I'll call it cautious optimism, but I sometimes think that's a bit of a cop out, that phrase, perhaps. Are there any industry innovations or tech innovations you're excited about or things to be particularly sort of 
optimistic and excited about in media, entertainment, broadcast, sport for the for the next year? Well, this one may be more scary than um, than I get excited by it. If I'm honest with you, we we all think you know that we know the industry really well, and what I mean by that is that there are the big players out there, whether it be Netflix or you know Disney or Warner or whoever it may be out there. Um, but I think what we're seeing in the media space is this new consolidation and forming of organizations. So, for instance, you know, this new streaming sports app that is going to happen with between Disney, Fox, ESPN um, and and um, how that is all coming together. And, um, and and I think what's interesting about that is that's going to bring again new opportunities to change and adapt and alter the way that we do things. The one thing I do know is that I don't, I can't predict the future. In other words, what's exciting to me is this industry will never be boring. Um, And I think um, why I love this industry so much is purely because looking ahead is that, you know, the one surety I've got is change. Um, and uh, if you don't like change, you're definitely in the wrong industry. Um, and if we, if you want to predict the next big hit and the next big thing, uh, again, you, you're going to be a much cleverer person than I am because it's going to constantly evolve and adapt. And things that we truly believe are, uh, you know, the industry norm will become not the industry norm. So, so I think from a prediction point of view, it is going to be more of change, more of adaption, more of the ability to alter the way that we deliver and make and shape content going forward. And if that's anything um, to go by over the last year from some of the things that have been happening, I, it's only going to get quicker, faster and um, um, much more interesting, certainly in the next few years around Web3 and and various other distribution mechanisms. Darren, that brilliantly brought us completely around full circle to adaptability. So um, thank you so much for joining the other month and uh, coming on the podcast as well. It's much appreciated. No problem. Thank you. Thanks then to Darren and before that to Gordon for speaking to us and Zixi for supporting this work. Please do digest the DPP predictions report if any of those themes are things which resonate with you and look out for more incoming episodes from the DPP podcast.